Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Let us stand in the reading of God's word. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. You can find that on page 1031 in your Black Pew Bibles. In the reading of God's word, it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what that you need them need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. It is absolute joy to be here this morning. It is an honor and a privilege to be here before you. Um, as many of you know, my family and I moved to New Jersey almost three years ago. And up until a couple of months ago, we were driving almost 65 miles so that we could continue to attend worship here at NBC because we love this church and absolutely love pastor and his family. We also think the leadership here is second to none. And we've made friendships here that we'll continue to cherish. I want you all to know that we, all, we have never stopped praying for any of you, and we won't stop doing that. Something that we did just begin to do, though, is boating and fishing while in New Jersey. My wife and I moved to, close to a reservoir, and we thought it would be fun to buy a small used boat so that we could go fishing with the children. And this past summer, that's exactly what I did. I was off from work one day, and it was a beautiful sunny day. So I took four of my children and went out in the water. We didn't catch any fish that day, but they'll tell you that we were having so much fun driving the boat around it didn't really matter that we catch anything. We stopped off as a vi at a visitor center, which was actually at the opposite end of where we first started. We stayed there for a little while. We looked around, and then we went back to the boat. 
But when we went back to the boat, I noticed that we had left all of the fishing rods scattered dangerously all over the boat. So I began to gather them up in order to put them all safely to one side. And it was at this moment that I heard the most terrifying and worst thing that I've ever heard in my life. My daughter Amanda yelling out to me, Daddy, Daddy, the hook is in my eye. The hook is in my eye. I turned to her and I looked down. I could not believe what I was seeing. Tony, could you show us the picture, please? For those who are not, who are not familiar with, the, with a fish hook, the hook has a sharp point at the end so that it could easily penetrate a fish's mouth. But it is also made in such a way that it will not come out unless it is pulled out by force. And sometimes when you pull it out, half of the fish's mouth comes out with it. My heart was in my throat. Anyway, we got into the ambulance, brought her to the emergency room, and God was so gracious to us that the doctor was able to cut the hook and slide the rest of the hook back out, causing minimal damage. And why was there minimal damage? Because as she said, while explaining the providence of God to all of us, while on the way to the hospital, Daddy, isn't it incredible how God made the hook turn as soon as it hit my eyelid so it wouldn't hit my eye? That's right, the hook never touched her eye because it turned as soon as it pierced the, her eyelid. We've all experienced tragic or near tragic events that have broken our hearts. We live in a fallen world. And the life that we live is not always filled with roses. The world that our Creator has made has been shattered by our sinfulness. And as a result of that, there are tragedies and adversities everywhere. Hardships in families and sicknesses with children. Economies that fail and finances that can't be paid. Heartaches over broken relationships, deceits, disappointments, and so on. And we all worry about different things. Even in the very best situations, we all somehow find a reason to deeply be concerned about something. As a matter of fact, being concerned is the one experience that we all have in common. Worries, anxieties, and fears are very much part of the world that we live in. And there are some people, even some who are here, who have forgotten what it is to live without anxiety. But God is serious about the way that we live and the anxiety that we feel while we are here. And his desire is that we would find our peace in him and not have to rely on things of the world for our peace. If you are overly concerned about things, even important things, mark it down. You will lose your spiritual focus and you will not be able to be as effective a spouse, parent, worker, 
or even a witness for him as you ought to be. Anxiety affects us more than we know and more, and more than we like to admit. The reading that we have before us today is found right in the middle of what theologians have named the Sermon on the Mount. And the verses that we are going to be looking at contain the most condensed teaching that we have on the subject of anxiety which came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. We begin with verses 25 and 26. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Our Lord here mentions the bare necessities of life. What you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will put on. To a culture and to people who were constantly worried about where the next meal was going to come from. And then Jesus adds, do not be anxious about any of those things. He points out the fact that the intense anxiety that they felt was unreasonable because of two things. First, it was unreasonable because, he, as he says in verse 25, life is more than food and the body more than clothing, meaning that there are things that are more important than even the basic necessities of life. Because it is possible that a person could live a very long life filled with all kinds of things, but then dies and ends up in hell because he did not seek God and therefore had missed the very reason that he was made. Secondly, Jesus says that their anxiety was unreasonable because he states in verse 26, look at all the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not more valuable than they are? He, he says to look at the birds and learn from them, which is tragic, because we are the ones who are made in God's image. Not them. So if not only the birds, but the crickets, the butterflies, the squirrels, and so on, wanted to have an idea of what God is like, they should be able to take a quick glance at us and then say, oh, that is what God is like. That's how it should have been. But because of our sin, Jesus here has to point to the birds of the air in order to teach us saying that we could learn something from them. Why? Because they put us to shame with the way that they live. Just look at them all, he says, sitting on the branches and singing to the Lord without care, a care in the world, waiting patiently for the next meal that God is going to provide for them. And he tells this community who heavily relied on farming for food, to observe the birds who neither plant nor harvest their food 
but somehow they always have something to eat. Who do you think is feeding them all? God is. He does that because he loves them. And he takes pleasure in them. And he loves you. And regardless of what you may be thinking or be feeling sometimes, he hasn't forgotten about you either. The logic here is that if God is so pleased in providing these little feathered creatures with the things that they need, don't you think that your Heavenly Father is going to provide you with what, the things that you need? Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? This is the second of a total of four times in our reading today that Jesus uses the word anxious along with a charge to refrain from it. Because as he claims here, being overly anxious is an exercise in futility. Have you ever gained anything been carrying around your anxieties and cares? You may have struggled with personal afflictions. You may have suffered through family ailments. You may have been at the brink of exasperation. But your concerns have not added anything good to your life. Maybe you've got you got high blood pressure as a result of it. You may have lost your desire to eat. You may even have suffered through a few sleepless nights. But you have never added a single hour of life by worrying. Jesus continues saying, verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arraigned like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, all you of little faith? Jesus said that to consider... The lilies of the field. Tony, would you kindly show us a picture of the lilies? Yeah. Lilies in this part of the world where Jesus was speaking had a tendency to be wild and grow everywhere. They would grow up on roadsides, meadows, and on mountain slides. And because the people who Jesus was speaking to were primarily farmers and their lives were immersed in agriculture, they would take notice of these flowers that none of them had planted, but would appear in the weirdest places. Most of these flowers had lifespans of just a few days and then would just die off. But they were stunning. And their beauty with their dazzling, brilliant colors would be noticed by everyone. And Jesus' point was that since God has planted and so adorned these brief and seemingly valueless flowers with stunning beauty. Doesn't it make more sense that he's willing and inclined to adorn each and every individual person who he created in his own image with his care, love, mercy, and grace? Jesus' point in the reading so far is to shift our focus away from the anxieties that we face because we have a mighty God in heaven who deeply cares about us and is sovereignly involved in everything that we do. Verses 31 and 32. 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus saved this most critical indictment from our reading these two verses, because he, as he explains, being overly anxious about things of the world places us on the, on the same level as the people who don't know anything about God. Saying, the Gentiles seek after all these things. And because they deny him, they try to comfort themselves with things that don't have any intrinsic value in themselves. Things that are masked by the devil himself to have value, but are meant to entrap people in the bondage of their addictions. Who here remembers what happened to the mighty energy company Enron a few years ago? Enron had become one of the most successful companies in the world. But then because of corruption and mismanagement, almost overnight, 21,000 employees lost their life savings. And devices that the world relies on are just like that. Bank accounts, 401ks, drugs, alcohols, adultery, social status, food, drink, clothing, and so on. These are the things that Gentiles numb themselves with and pursue in order to have some sort of camouflage, temporary peace in their lives. Because these things are no securities at all. They're illusions. Here today and gone tomorrow. Have you ever considered who God is? I mean, really considered who he is. Because God is the uncreated, unchanging, self-existent, self-sufficient, all-powerful Lord who created the universe as he spoke it and it came to be. He is also all-knowing which means that no one can outwit him or circumvent any of his plans. And he is the one who created you. He knows everything there is to know about you, and he is well aware of the things that you need. He is also loving, which means that he can be trusted. And there isn't any reason to doubt him, because he has given us his son as proof of his unending and everlasting love for you. Do you know anyone else who is deserving of a full trust and commitment that way? Jesus said, when you ask, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You're not thinking about, thinking about who your heavenly father is at all. Because you're asking the same exact questions that the Gentiles are asking. And they don't even know me. Don't be that way. There's this huge spiritual component to this life. But most people are not seeking it or even seeing it. And Christ says to you today, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. And this is where Christians struggle the most. Saying in their own words that sometimes because of the situation that they are in, 
it does not appear as if God is in control. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are our ways his ways. But for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Meaning that God is working from a vantage point we can't even comprehend. And every detail of history has been accounted for by him and carefully planned out for his purpose and our good. Therefore, when we complain to God and try to instruct him on how to do a better job, it is absolutely silly. Because complaining to God is very much like standing behind Michelangelo as he's painting the masterpiece, masterpiece ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and saying, no, 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 not that way, Michael. Try this way. It sounds ridiculous because no one would ever do that to Michelangelo. But people don't have a problem with criticizing or questioning God's ways when they don't agree with him. Understand that he never asks us to try to figure out what he is doing in our lives. He never does that. He just asks us to trust him and consider who he is. I want to add that God is not only not absent in the midst of our trials, but he is there being deeply involved in all of them and taking care of you and me during our trials. And in the midst of those trials, there isn't anything that is more comforting to me than to know that my Heavenly Father is right there with me in this situation that I'm in, loving me and paying close to all of my needs because He alone is able to arrange all of the diverse human actions in order to bring about His goodness out of the most awful human situations. I share this true story with one of the Sunday schools a little while ago. I think it should be mentioned again, seeing that it pertains to the subject that we're discussing this morning. Years ago, there were 10 American missionaries who were captured by terrorists. And the terrorists kept them for some time until one day, they had all the missionaries in one room and the missionaries were told by their abductors that they would be left alone for a few minutes in order to say their goodbyes to each other. And when they returned, they would all be killed. The terrorists left the room. And then something interesting happened. The missionaries began to argue with one another as to who would be killed first. The pastor said, when they come in, I'm going first. I'm the pastor. Another guy said, no way, pastor. I'm older than you are. I'm going first. And so on. They all volunteered to go first. Through God's grace, none of them were killed. And they were all freed. And after some time, 
A well-known pastor had lunch with one of the ten missionaries and said, I've been wanting to ask you this for a long time. How did you feel and what was going through your mind when you were in that room with your friends, knowing that at any moment your captors would come back into that room and then you would be killed and be standing in front of God? The missionary responded, you know, it's the strangest thing, but during that time when we were waiting for them to come back, I felt a peace and a calm that I never felt before. And I've spoken to the others, and they all felt the same thing. And since we've come back, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've meditated on everything in God's word, but I've not been able to feel the calm that I felt in the room that day. There's sometimes I wish I could go back there again. He wanted to go back to where those murderous criminals had a guillotine hanging over his head so that he could feel the intimacy and peace that he felt with Jesus that day. Why? Because it was at that point that Jesus poured down so much grace into all of their hearts that they were blown away by it. And it was impossible for them to feel stress or anything else. Friends, I want all of us to change our thinking this morning. We have a tendency to be distracted by a great many things. But God in his grace and his word has expressed his deep, profound love for us. And he wants you to know that no matter what you have been through, and no matter what you may still be going through today, that he has never, ever, ever forgotten about you. Listen to what King David was able to write. Not from his palace, but from a a cave when he was running away from Absalom, his son, in the fourth Psalm, verse 7 and 8. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David's son, Absalom, was after his father's throne. He had already won the hearts of many people, and now he was after his father's kingdom. David knew exactly what his son wanted because for a son to permanently take his father's throne, the father would have to die first. This was sin at its worst as it rips apart a family with adultery, greed, and possibly murder. So King David flees for his life with a small group of loyal men and goes to hide from his son in a cave. But David is not paralyzed by anxiety or crippled by any stress. His heart was at rest and his body is able to sleep in the middle of what would break the heart of any father. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety, he wrote. 
Are you kidding me? What is he talking about? How is he able to do that? Where is his confidence coming from? Obviously, it's not coming from the predicament that he, he is in because it appears to be very bleak for him. And clearly, his courage is supernatural and coming from the Lord who is still on the throne and who has made him and all of who, those who place their trust in him a promise that although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil because God is with us and his rod and his staff will comfort us. No matter what the circumstances in our life try to tell us, Jesus says in verse 34, Therefore, because God is sovereign, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God is saying that we shouldn't be overly concerned about things that can negatively affect us or things that we're, we are not able to change. So does that mean that I'm not supposed to make plans for tomorrow? Of course we're supposed to make plans and prepare ourselves for tomorrow. Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and come to course whether he has enough to complete it? In order for us to be good stewards in what we have been given, we absolutely have to plan for tomorrow. What Christ means, though, is not to be overly stressed because being overly stressed is not going to help us one bit. In prayer and supplication, God wants us to entrust ourselves to live by the strength and mercy given to us for today. Again, in prayer and supplication, God wants us to entrust ourselves to live by the strength and mercies given to us for today. And then believe that he will do as he's promised and renew his blessings again tomorrow. His mercies are like the manna in the wilderness that you can't keep overnight. But we have to trust they're going to be renewed again in the morning. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, Jesus said. And no one knew that better than David as he experienced the full weight of the disappointment and danger in this fallen world. But his heart was completely separated from the anxieties that would have crippled most dads. Did he know how things were going to turn out for him? No, he didn't. But in the middle of all that was going on, and in the midst of the hurricane that his life was in, he was able to sleep soundly because his heart was at rest in the Lord. I want you to know that Christians are not unaffected by life's blows. We go through, we go through hardships and difficult times as well. We're not spared while we are here. However, it's simply that because of God's promises that he has given us, we have a different way of processing the events that happen to us. Because we trust God's sovereignty and understand that the peace we experience 
doesn't have anything to do with the circumstances that we are in. We entrust ourselves daily, believing that Christ is seated at the right hand of power and is actively working through all things. And sometimes, even as tears roll down your face, we were able to say, not my will be done, but yours, God. Because we believe in our hearts that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and he will never let us down. If you're here today, if you never had peace in your soul, remember that the peace of God can only begin with having peace with God through the atoning sacrifice of his son. God's word says that one day everyone will have to stand before him to give an account for what or she has done. And God is going to do what good judges do and punish the guilty for what they have done wrong. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we are all guilty before him. But God did the the inconceivable when he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to take the punishment that we all deserve up on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice was both magnificent and complete. But friends, the benefits of his death do not come to us automatically. He requires faith. And he requires that you put your trust in him. Without that faith and without that trust, the benefits of his death are not yours. So if you haven't done so already, you you receive forgiveness right now, right from where you're sitting. You can say something like this. Please, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me for what I have done. I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness Desperately, go to him if you haven't done so already. And he will forgive you of your sins and give you a strength and an understanding that you've never had before. We're almost done. You may be saying, it all sounds great. Peace, no worries, no anxieties. But that's not how my life has been. I don't see how I could ever get there from where I am. If you're thinking that, know that you're not alone in feeling that way. Because the biggest challenge for Christians is to trust our sovereign, wise, and powerful God in the midst of the situations that we face every day. Because as soon as uncertainty strikes, our battle of faith begins. That is why I'm so excited that NBC is going to focus on this discipleship mentoring program. Because it's exactly in programs like that where prayer and the studies of his word are emphasized that the battle of our faith can be won. So fight for that joy. 
and cling to, to his truths. Because there's no greater peace and no greater joy that you will ever experience while you are here than to know that you have been faithfully trusting and walking with this great God who has always cared and who has given us his glorious son in order that we all might live free from the frustrations of this world and in the confidence, power, and tenderness of his great love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we praise you. We thank you this morning for your grace, for your love, and that you loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you so much for bringing us into your family by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for reminding us this morning that you are mighty, but also loving and in charge of the littlest things. Make us, I pray, men and women of faith who are not affected by life's blows because our foundation and hopes are firmly grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.